Hello and welcome to the Scottish Football Show. Coming up this week, Postacoglu's party at Celtic looks over as the Aussie bossy is offy. Oh dear! The Staggies stage, a sensational survival comeback, stamping out Partick Thistle. And B-teams can bugger off ahead of the Conference League vote. Welcome, one and all, to the last, the last podcast of the season. Yes, I know, I know. It's going to be a tough summer, but, well, you know, Steve Clark's Tartan Army are already in preparation to hump Ireland and cut down Kvarat Skellia, so it's all going to be a, a good serving of Scottish football success in the coming months. But I am your host, Andrew Slavin, and I am coming to you from the fashion capital of the world, Milan, Italy. I didn't pay to be here. Uh, I have been taken here by my work. But it's a weird uh, season finale this week. None of us are actually in Scotland at the moment. Joining me, as usual, West Ham super producer, my sister from another mister, Laura Brannan, and football filmmaker with all the Fs, it's Finley f***ing Marks. Where are you, Laura? Where are you, Finn? Laura, you go first, because I think your one is quite exciting. Hello from Prague, Neil Poir. Oh, I, I like that, the Eurovision <laughs> entry. Hello <laughs> from Prague, I'm not wearing my best ball gown, but I should have planned ahead. Obviously that Neil Poir was only for England, Laura. <laughs> oh yeah, 12 Poir for Scotland, <laughs> for Echo City. Amazing, great city, absolutely love Prague, love it. Um, how are you finding it? Uh, yeah, it's um, it's all weather's extreme right now. It was scorching yesterday. It was chucking it down today. Um, I've not planned at all because I'm Scottish and I've um, completely underestimated the weather entirely. But I'm here for the Conference League final, which is on Wednesday evening with West Ham. And it's pretty good. It's all systems go. We're doing pretty good stuff. Um, I was chasing a plane down a runway today which is um not something what? you do every day not literally not literally yeah we were on the runway in a car chasing the team flight as it landed <laughs> and then had to overtake the plane to make sure we got to the terminal in time to film the players walking off i've just i'm picturing jim carrey and liar liar <laughs> if you've ever seen that film pull over Pull over! You're supposed to be there. No, oh, amazing. I absolutely would not put it past Laura to get in a baggage handler's crane to go hurtling <laughs> along at a couple of hundred miles an hour next to a plane just to get the good shot that she really wants to get. The dedication to the cause she has. Oh yeah, we overtook the plane. It was quite a buzz. We were we were proper cheated in the car. <laughs> amazing. Wow. Uh, Finlay, coming to us from Melbourne. Back in Melbourne, yeah. It's a shame this wasn't recorded over the weekend because I was also... Away from home, technically. I was in Sydney for the uh, A-League's grand final between Melbourne City and Central Coast Mariners. I was there working with Melbourne City. Didn't quite go according to plan. (laughs) Uh, They lost 6-1 in the final. But there was a a happy Scottish connection. Jason Cummings, the cum dog, signed off from a terrific season with Central Coast Mariners with a hat-trick in the final. So Wow, there you go. dribbling in goals. There's always a Scottish connection somewhere. <laughs> Scottish football is a wonderful, tiny little world. He really should get rid of that nickname, though. Absolutely minging. But <laughs> I, th- I think he came up with it himself, didn't he? I'm not too sure. 
I think he did. Uh, I think, I mean, that raises more questions than it, than it answers, doesn't it? But that's gen- generally the way with Jason Cummings. Apparently he's, um, he's off to India in the summer to join an Indian Premier League team for quite a bit of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It may turn out for the Indian national team in the next uh, <laughs> World Cup. Wouldn't fit it past him. <laughs> well, uh, as always, plenty of funny stuff going on over the kind of last few weeks, really. It's been a great run into the end of the season. But looking at the, the Scottish Cup final, loved the little bit of social that Inverness Cali put out. Or was it Inverness Cali? <laughs> It was uh, this of the the bus journey to Hamden. Did you guys see this? <laughs> yeah, it was Keanu Reeves driving them there. It was it was like something out of speeds. It was obviously they've sped up the footage to to get through the streets of Mount Florida to get to Hamden and the the coach going down into the belly of the stadium. But for some reason, it just somebody pointed it out on Twitter of like how fast is the Cali Thistle bus going? And he just, yeah. that's, that's all anybody could see after that. It was quite funny. Fitba Patter was, yeah, they nailed it. Slow down, FFS. <laughs> uh, you would have liked this one as well, Finn. Graham Souness, obviously with his Rangers connection. He was uh, back in Turkey, recreating the famous flag moment because Galatasaray won the league. But famously in 1996, he took the Galatasaray flag and slammed it right into the centre circle, didn't he? When he won it as manager of of the arrival Fenerbahce Stadium, that was the that was the yeah. kicker. <laughs> Even slightly more death defying than uh, was it Lee Griffiths that tied a Celtic scarf to the goalpost at Ibrox, which, which is you know wasn't looked on favourably, let's say by the Rangers support. But I think <laughs> planting a massive Galatasaray flag in the centre circle at Fenerbahce Stadium was uh, a brave thing to do for for our, our Graham. But um, yeah, it was slightly more staid this time because he, he it was at Galatasaray Stadium and they just gave him a massive flag and he was waving it very serenely as he was celebrating on the pitch with uh, with the players. It was it was quite quite nice to see, but a lovely callback to one of the best football shit history moments from the nineties. Amazing. Did you see the um slight, slightly out of date? This happened a few. Well, a week or so ago, but um, when Tony Doherty got announced as a Dundee manager, mm-hmm. so then they put out the graphic confirming <laughs> that he was made manager, but the photo they used was the photo of him celebrating a win for Aberdeen over <laughs> Dundee at Dens Park. <laughs> like, are they not aware? I mean, these people take the photo off the me- website and then remove the background. How did nobody notice that this is <laughs> at their own ground? And they've had to Photoshop out the Aberdeen badge from his jacket as well. So, yeah. So they have. I never even noticed that, but the initials are gone and everything. <laughs> oh, it, was, it was just very Dundee, very cinch, and quite frankly... We're all here for it. So. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, if anyone who's listening right now ha- does have time, it's worthwhile um, going into the old fun facts page to look to look at the twenty twenty two twenty three alternative Scottish football awards. Yeah, there's some absolute like social gold in there. Looking back at the best, one of the categories right at the top is best photo, and the winner is when Elgin City posted it out saying arguably the best picture ever taken on a football pitch. And it's actually Queen of the South fans getting scalped with a ball, but they're obviously holding a bag of chips and a cup of tea. And the one one of the last there's one girl who looks like she's obviously trying to shield herself from the ball, but she just looks like she's dabbing. <laughs> it's just amazing and there's some even better ones out there like um yeah like when dundee released the 
uh, tickets for their game against Partick Thistle, but called him Patrick Thistle. <laughs> and Partick Thistle then tweeted that out, saying when Pat- Patrick Thistle starts to play, there's so much great stuff in there. One of the boys I work with um, actually said to me last night, um, I used to think that Partick Thistle was called Patrick Thistle, <laughs> and he was getting all this thick for it. And I was like, well, actually, hold on a minute. There's a team that thought they were called Pat- Patrick Thistle, so you're not the only one. Oh, <laughs> dear. I think that would make better. Oh, right, uh, playoff drama. We'll get to the, the match details and reaction a little bit later in the show, but it was an amazing, amazing end to the Scottish football season, certainly in terms of drama. It all came down to a penalty shootout for a place in the Premiership next season between Ross County and Partick Thistle. But it was uh, the penalties were weirdly looked like they were directed by the police, Laura. Oh, this riled me. <laughs> <laughs> this wound me up. <laughs> It wound a few people up, I think. Apparently, the um, the police decided which end the penalties were taken at. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I was under the impression that penalties were always decided by a coin toss. Yeah, correct. And the winning captain chose the end, normally chooses the end his set of fans are at. Fair's fair. But for the police to step in and say, no, it's getting taken at the home end fans, has got to raise a few eyebrows here because... Dingwall's not the best stadium when it comes to security. <laughs> <laughs> they have a now, why would you say that, that specifically, <laughs> Laura? Do you, do you have any actual empirical evidence that they're not particularly good at stewarding matches? Oh, let's just say Dingwall has a history of deploying rather unfair and heavy-handed tactics when it comes <laughs> to the away end. Um, Unfortunately, I've seen a lot of these firsthand um, to the sets of fans that I've been filming and to myself personally. Uh, lots of stories there. Like, not just myself and Motherwell fans, there's been other fans as well. I think Celtic fans have been subjected to it, Partick Thistle fans over the past, I think, as well. Subjected to what? Give me a detail. They're just, the, the stewards are, are oh God, I don't, I, I don't know how to diplomatically say this. They're um, they're not very nice people. Do the stewards just muck in with a chance with the fans? <laughs> the problem is that the the wind is very close to the pitch. And, well, to be fair, the whole stadium was very close to the pitch. You, there's parts of that stand where you could touch the net, probably. And bearing in mind that all these travelling fans are probably on a bus drinking for three hours. Um, and they don't take too nicely to it. And they're very heavily handed. There's, there's been times when like they would take flags off Motherwell fans for like the no justification at all and stuff. There's, there's mm-hmm, been mm-hmm. very petty behaviour and, and little things even with myself. It's like you've got past to be a certain place, but they won't let you do certain things. Endless debates and battles with them. But anyway, what, what it comes down to is there should have been a fair decision between which end the penalties were taken at because... Of course, Partick Thistle would have wanted to take them in front of their own fans. And I just feel like that is not fair. It's not in the spirit of football. It's not sporting. Some Jobsworth has made this decision and it is completely the wrong way to approach it in terms of fairness. Is this, is this something where maybe I would step in and say, why aren't we having all of these promotion finals why aren't we having them at Hamden? Oh, because the Hamden pitch would fall apart. <laughs> it's like if, if, if it has more than one game on it every six months, it's no no use. But it, but it shouldn't. It shouldn't. And there shouldn't be a reason why we couldn't do that. Is that because the fans are so far away, though, that they can't cause a safety well, hazard? Because why well, should... It's a tight... It's a good stadium. It's a great, tight stadium for atmosphere. And I don't think that should be discouraged in any way. 
because there's always a good atmosphere when you go to these games, mostly from the away end, making uh-huh. the noise. I don't think that should be discouraged. And if anything, it's, I think the players would probably have actually relished the chance to take penalties in that sort of situation. Yeah, it's mm. a high pressure circumstances. But I don't know. I think I would rather do that and be properly in the heart of it and the heat of it rather than doing it a handy where you've got the fans are half a mile away. Obviously, congratulations to Ross County, like an unreal turnaround. Like I said, we will get some more reaction later on in the podcast. But um, Celtic themselves made massive history at the weekend, breaking a world record. They clinched their eighth treble at the weekend. No other side has done that. It was a 3-1 win over Inverness, Caledonian Thistle in the Scottish Cup final. It's five trebles in seven seasons now for Celtic. But the kind of lasting conversation from the final was that will it be Ange Postacoglu's final game in charge and let's face it I think that is the case talks have happened um, things have been verbally agreed all, already and strangely I've already seen on Twitter some Spurs fans coming out and going like what we're replacing Conte with some guy called Ange Postacoglu there are people out there who don't know who he is but very similar in Scotland, Finn, and he proved a lot of doubters wrong. Well, I, I was just going to make the point, it's, it's that same level of ignorance that really comes from especially European-centric fans because you don't know the game outside of Europe at all for the large part. But it's it's been that same thing. It's like before Postacoglu came to Scotland, everybody's like, oh, that's embarrassing for Celtic. Who's this mug that's yeah. coming over from the J-League via Australia? Like, what do they know about football? And he's proved everybody wrong. But it's, it's that same level of ignorance again because of how the contempt that English football fans or the ignorance English football fans have for the Scottish game. The thing is with, with Postacoglu, and obviously in any of these kind of conversations, no matter what you say, will probably be tempered by bias in some way because of the team that I support and because of the team that Postacoglu manages. But being as objective as possible, we were mentioning this when when he was linked with another job a couple of weeks ago. I think you'd said, Andrew, you know, like what kind of why would he want to leave or or maybe there aren't the clubs coming in from or anything. And I was like, I think as much as he's loved being at Celtic, he's loved that relationship he's had with the fans and everything. He's an incredibly determined and ambitious man. Like you can see that from all the jobs that he's had before. And he is hungry to prove himself at the highest possible level. And if you're being realistic, it's not just Celtic, it's Scottish football as a whole is not the highest level, whether we want to realise that or not. It's, it's, it's working in one of the big five leagues. And I think if he doesn't take the opportunity now, because I don't think his stock can possibly get higher than it is at the moment. It can only possibly come down slightly, I think, if he's not successful next season or Celtic don't have a great Champions League run or something like that. You know, just all the conditions are perfect for him to make this move now. He's pretty much, he's achieved everything he probably will achieve at Celtic, certainly domestically, signing off with a treble. <laughs> How much better can you do? So it feels like it's it's the right time. This feels different from Rodgers leaving though, doesn't it? Yeah, for me, for me, the only real thing he's got left to do is conquer Europe when it comes to Celtic. And when you've got an opportunity to make that step to like renowned, renownedly, as much as we all say Scottish football is the best in the world, it's renownedly known as being one of the top leagues in the world. Of course, that's going to be tempting for somebody to to make that step. Is the challenge of taking on Europe with Celtic and conquering that side of things really a big temptation when you compare the two? Because 
he could still have that challenge if he takes the job at Spurs. Maybe not next season, but somewhere down the line, he could still have okay. the European chapter of his career to then take on. Yeah, of course. That will that will certainly be the first thing he has to achieve with with Tottenham is actually getting them back into Europe because they do not have that next season. So it's it's one of those things where it's a mixture of ambition and determination, like you said, Finn, and money. Yeah. Money. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone in my hotel is going to be hating me shouting about money right now <laughs> at one o'clock in the morning. When you're talking about that kind of arrogance of the English fans um, turning their nose up at them, I mean, I, I, I was overhearing a conversation with one of the, the staff members I'm about here over uh, with, from West Ham. Listen. Just like you know, random, normal English guy likes his football, such and such, right? But the the stuff he was coming out with, and I was typing it to you guys as I was overhearing it because I wasn't <laughs> going to get bogged into a debate with him. But I was like, I can't believe he's saying this. And the th- stuff he was saying, he said, he'll be sacked by Christmas. They can't hire a championship level manager, which is where he is. That's the level Celtic are at. It's the championship. Oh, it's a completely different game down here. Down here, as in. Well, he means London, even though we're not in London. Um, there's too much pressure in the Premier League. They've had f- 57 games this season. He can't handle that many games. And I'm sorry, but Celtic have played 53 games this season. That, yeah. I mean, okay, for sure. But the arrogance oozing from him to just be like, no, he's a failure. No, the, and it, it, I then I kind of I bit a wee bit and I wasn't going to bite a lot but then I went down the path of well this was the arrogance or not the arrogance but the lack of understanding that some Celtic fans came out with he completely changed it and he was going on about oh but if Harry Kane leaves what are they going, who are they going to have and I was like well he could also bring these, you know, these Japanese exports that he, he brought in all these new players that no one knew about and he could implement something similar at Spurs and his face was just like what Japanese players? Mm. What are you talking about? And I'm like, you don't even know what no. he's done or how he's changed Celtic or his approach or his style of football or anything. It's just all you've done is see that he's a manager of Celtic and that is not a good enough level in your books. And that is that is so depressing because that is not just him that's saying that. That is a very widely written opinion across. It is. It's, 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 a, it's a cultural thing. And it, it, it was the same thing with Gerard. The reason that Gerard... It, eyebrows weren't raised too much with Gerard coming down south is because people knew his name from his playing career, but nobody actually really knew in any great detail what he'd done while Strangers manager, whether it was good or not. They just saw oh, he'd won the league with Rangers, but yeah, anybody could do that. Hey, mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, good, he's coming back down to the Premier League because he's an English person and we know the name. But it's, it is, it's just that level of, it's at times a, uh, an unfathomable ignorance considering you're right next to to them and it's like fair, fair days if you're not following you know the inner working of Albion Rovers play in the in league two but I mean the you know Celtic and and Rangers are two of the biggest clubs in Europe in terms of stature fan base all the rest of it it's ridiculous that you wouldn't even know a handful of the players that were that were doing it. The thing is, any manager should be successful at clubs like Celtic or Rangers because they have the money and the backing and whatnot. It, it, but it's about making those teams a success. And if you can achieve that, there's no reason why you can't go anywhere um, in Europe for that matter. But the, the big question does kind of move on to who will be replacing 
uh, Postacoglu, and I'll take this away from Laura here, Finn, and we can discuss this because I do wonder if David Moyes might be available in the summer after he's picked <laughs> up the European Europa League Conf- uh, Conference League uh, trophy um, and sails off into the Thames and up the Brent River, <laughs> and then where's the next one? <laughs> up the Clyde. <laughs> well, if, if he's gone up that side, he probably needs to go down, come come down the fourth, doesn't he? And then yeah, uh, 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 might might take a while. Yeah, that that was a, that was a lovely analogy. Enjoyed that one. But David Moyes, Finn. Like, can I just jump in here before you actually sensibly analyse this? But absolutely, <laughs> but how boring is it over the last, like, what, 15 years that every time a Celtic vacancy comes up, the first name is David Moyes. It's just the same it's because thing. He's, it's because he's came out and said it in the past yeah, that he would like just, to manage Celtic. It's the same go-to right, name that the Dickies rule out, rule out every time. Well, but this is the, even, the, the, the more fantastical thing that's already came out in the press is that Brendan Rodgers would be in the frame. But... Um, it seems like that's going to be a no, and we're not surprised that it wouldn't happen either because we, we, there's a video that's gone out, and I think Graham Spears tweeted it, um, of uh, Brendan Rogers saying that he would never rule out a return to Celtic. But um, it's fairly unlikely in the short term. With, with Moyes, it's interesting because I think he's one of those names, like you're saying, Laura, it's, like, it's pretty much every time there's been a managerial vacancy at Celtic or close to it, like if a manager's struggling or whatever, the, the, there's the, uh, an immediate link in the press to Davy Moyes. I just think it says more about journalism around football stuff in, in Scotland and the UK than it does any particular strength to the rumours because you tend to find this kind of stuff happens all the time. I mean, like, do you remember the, the there was the player that had signed on loan from for Rangers for Man City, Vladimir Weiss, in Walter Smith's Oh yeah, I remember him, the Slovakian guy. Yeah, and he had a pretty decent six months, I think it was. I think he won, was would it have been a league title in the League Cup or something like that? He won a couple of medals. And the thing that won him over to the Rangers support was that he was spotted in the crowd, I think, when he was injured. Or the, the next season, I think he'd come back and he was in with the ultras and singing the songs and stuff. But basically from that point, this is 2011, and I think he only... I don't even know if he's retired, but um, he's, he'll be close to it now. <laughs> Every single bloody transfer window since that point, they've been like, oh, do, do, you know, do you know who I, I've heard is coming back? Vladimir Weiss, we're actually going to sign him on a... On a th- it's just like, there are certain names, certain people that can perennially linked with football teams. Um, and uh, Davy Moyes just seems to be one of those ones. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, is it the type of manager that Celtic really want? I think when you look to... Um, Postacoglu, and that was somebody who was unknown in certain quarters, but in terms of his ambition and his track record and how progressive he was really as a football coach in modern terms, that's the kind of person you surely want to be going for. So I, I don't think you need to be jumping on like, well, here's somebody who's a good Celtic man and he, he was a youth player at the club or he's always spoken well of the club and, and that's the kind of person we need to get in. I, I don't know if that's quite how it works in the modern game. I, I don't know if the fans would be huge about Rodgers coming back either, but yeah, we'll wait and see. I mean, I, I heard a rumour that Peter Lowell and, and Neil Lennon were in discussions in the showers after the, the Cali Thistle game. So <laughs> read into that what you will. <laughs> oh, the famous showers. Ah, a steamy affair. Um, <laughs> we, we need to move on, but um, a few good pointers to to remind people that um, there was other cup winners at the weekend. Cumnock Juniors 
defeated Rutherglen Glencairn in the Scottish Junior Cup final 1-0. A 93rd minute winner from Finlay Fry. Um, sorry if I've not pronounced that name correctly, Finlay. Obviously, Finlay March put this in because a Finlay scored a goal. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> and added to all of that as well, by the way, is 4,000 turned out at Broadwood. Um, which is amazing when you think of the where that is in the in the pyramid system. But also, guys, have you seen Lewis Ferguson scored another ninety seventh minute winner for Bologna away to Lecce? Um, it was his third goal in his last three matches, and he's seventh overall in this campaign um, debut season in Italy. He, he's now the most of any midfielder in their debut season to score that many goals. If you think his uncle, what Barry Ferguson absolutely lambasting Rangers for not getting Lewis Ferguson signed up. He's gone to Bologna. He's now he's now easily a twenty million pound player. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I remember saying this to my friends who were skeptical. I think there's a real snobbishness sometimes, especially in the Rangers support or the Celtic support, about signing players from within Scotland. But I was like, honestly, Lewis Ferguson has all the attributes to be an amazing top level player. It's not just the connection, obviously, through his family. And and you're seeing that now. That's the thing. He's been fantastic. And I think Bologna finished like ninth or something in Serie A which is pretty respectable. Like they finished just outside the European places. So I'm really excited to see how his career develops going going over there um, and where it will lead to. There, there's already big clubs sniffing around. So even if he stays for another season, he'll get a big move very, very soon. Josh Sims to keep Ross County in the Premiership. Now, we've seen some amazing drama at the business end of the season up and down the country. Spartans gained entry to the SPFL via the playoffs. Annan got their first ever promotion. The Scottish Women's Premier League title was decided by a 92nd minute winner. The entire final day of the championship season, that was insane. But 2023 season had more gold up its sleeve before the season came to a close. And it might just be one of the most incredible playoffs in the history of the SPFL. Because on Sunday night, Ross County pulled off an incredible comeback against Partick Thistle. The Staggies were 2-0 down from the first leg. They trailed 1-0 at halftime in Dingwall. But three goals in the final 20 minutes levelled the tie. And eventually on penalties, they cemented their future in the top flight for another season. Brilliantly, Laura caught up with County striker Jordan White to talk to us about that amazing comeback. Jordan, what we witnessed yesterday was nothing short of incredible. <laughs> Firstly, how are you feeling waking up this morning? Uh, I think there's a sense of relief. I think in terms of the emotion of, of the game, you went from the, the low lows to the highest highs. And I think sometimes you've got to, even though it's not the position we wanted to be in or how we wanted the season to go, you've got to take... They, they, these moments don't come around, around often and to, to actually feel the emotion of the fans and the players of everybody of how we actually came back it, uh, it really it really hit home and you, sometimes you just got to cherish the moments Before we get into the game itself these playoffs in general they've, they've provided so much drama over the years haven't they? Have, have you been involved? The last one I was involved in was with Livingston. We actually ended up getting relegated. It was against Stranraer. That was in the semi-final, so it was at Pursley. 
Uh, so the first leg we actually get beat 5-2 and it was similar to that one. We came back and we scored in the last minute. We won 4-1, took it to extra time and then ended up getting beaten in extra time. But um, I think as well, we, we've seen the playoffs earlier, like even the Sheffield Wednesday 4-0 down. I think that was that was in our heads as well. But in the game on Thursday, um, there was a couple of big moments in terms of we, we kept the score at 2-0. We put ten. We put seventy five minutes with ten men, and I think it, that that was in our heads um, that, that, that they didn't put the game to bed, which they, they maybe could have and felt they should have. So um, we we knew there was always a chance, but the, the way it ended up panning out was was not expected. Let's go back to the start of the weekend. Then um, obviously two down. I think a lot of people had written you off. Yeah. Were there nerves going into this game, or was it kind of almost like we've got nothing left to lose here? Just go out and. And see what happens. I think we, we, we felt that obviously the, the, the 10 men really it, it did make a big difference in the first leg. Um, we can after that we struggled to kind of get a foothold in the game, they had all the possession. And we knew at home, we, we knew if it we, one may actually came up, there was a start now. We've not won as many games as we wanted this season, but the last six games we won but were by two goals or more. So in our heads, you're thinking, well, if we just win the game, we're going to be fine. And obviously, even when you go 1-0 down, you're 3-0 down in aggregate, but I still think we, we just thought, if, if we get a goal, we'll see how they react. Because I don't think, I, I think Patrick Fissel, to be fair, they were a credit to themselves all, all playoffs. They were, they've been excellent in the full time, but they've probably not had any kind of adversity or or come up against so that everything's been plain sailing from for them. So for us we wanted to try and make them uncomfortable and try and obviously the first goal was important. We we wanted to get that and we felt if we got that then it might have been a different story again. Um and obviously we got the goal and I, th- I think they they they, they, they felt it a bit when we got the goal and obviously it showed when we got the second straight away. Was there something that you guys like worked on in training in the build? Obviously, having played them in the first game, you knew a bit more about them at that point. Was there something that you guys specifically worked on that you weren't expecting to or anything or change in your game plan? Uh, we, we tweaked our formation a wee bit uh, through the first game. Um, I think something that kind of hurt us they, down their right side uh, with their right back and uh, Stevie Lawless as well, they, they were kind of their main threat and they, they cause us quite a lot of problems and, and to be fair before the game on Thursday we knew that that was a kind of main threat but obviously go down to 10 men it was quite hard to stop it so um, that we kind of try to nullify that a bit and I think uh, especially in the first half I think we had probably more possession we had opportunities um, and it was, ju- it was just about we, we knew we didn't have to win the game in 10 minutes we didn't need to win it in the first half we, but one thing was when we do score, we we, we seem to just kick on. You know, I, I don't know what it's what it is, but the last few games or the last games that were fun, we we score and we just uh, we just take off and and the hand is out like that. So you three down at half time. Malky's team talk must have been something special. You know, he he was very calm. He he he, he said to us, he said if you get a goal, he, he was he said he said. He said he, he feels that they could crumble, and he, he gave us the belief. And and listen, but Partick, Partick were good, and I have sympathy for them because 
they put everything into it and you don't want to go down that it that way. But as well, another wee bit of motivation we came out at half time. And obviously you, you know like but you you know being in change rooms as well, like before the games you'll get the music on, after the games if you win you get the music on. We're walking out and they've got music on at half time and I think I, th- I think we thought, oh, okay, we think they think they're there, and we thought, right, let's let, let's test them, let's see if we can test them, and, and I think that kind of put a wee bit more fire in our belly, and and eventually got the job done. That's really interesting, actually. I mean, like, but into the last fifteen minutes, do you remember much? Is it a blur or what? Do you know what it was? Like we, when we scored the penalty, it was just like, okay, we can do this, we can do this, and then straight away, I think. They took centre, and I don't think we've chased the ball down as quick in all, all my life. Honestly, the, the intensity for the, the team, and, and and that shook them. And they, they passed the ball out for a shy, and we took a shy, and we won't score. Like it's it, the intensity was just, and because we done that, because we got that so quickly, we knew then we had, we still had about twenty odd minutes plus stoppage time to get the equaliser. We then parried. Like looking into penalties, right? How big was it? To take them in front of your own fans. Yeah, I think that was. Uh, I think that was big. I mean, to be honest, I didn't mind to it where I taking them. Uh, I think all the boys were confident going up to it. We we practiced them on uh, the the day before as well, and we spoke quite a lot about it. Even spoke with the keepers about what they don't like is if if they're in goals, and uh, and I think it, it really helped us. And I think everybody stood stood up, and obviously a couple missed, but to. to to stand up and take a penalty, then, then that, that that shows the character and and the and and the balls really to to do that in such a because we because at the end of the day we've got everything to lose as well because we, we would get relegated if we don't win that penalty shout. Um, obviously, part of this will they'll be absolutely devastated, but they maybe had a wee bit. I would have thought they'd have been a wee bit freer on the penalties, but it turned out that we were. I don't know, like, see, thinking about it, and I, I obviously I've never played the game and don't, don't know the pressures, but seeing a cup final, I would have think, okay, well, the prize is either you win the cup or you don't win the cup. And if you don't win it, you get over that. But if you, in your situation, it shapes the whole season, potentially years going on after that, but it shapes your whole next year and the club and how much the club are affected by that. It, I don't know, did that feel like, have you ever felt pressure like that stepping up? Because there's so much riding on it. At the time, you don't take that into consideration as such. Um, after it, we actually, it's funny you say that, we all kind of said that, like, it's crazy how, like, one penalty goes your way and and it, and it does, it, it does, it shapes the future of of how, how your career can be, how your, how the club is going to progress and, and it is crazy, but I think, um, I, I, th- I think everybody stood up and and took one short real ball and 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 all the penalties were were good penalties. Did you enjoy the full time celebrations? Was that a stupid yeah. question? <laughs> no, but I, I do you know what I was absolutely shattered and actually it was just more relief than anything. Obviously, with the fans coming on the pitch, it was great, but I was just like I couldn't wait to go over and see my my wee one and and my wife and just just see them because it was all the emotions coming out then and. Uh, and, it, and it does and that's what I'm saying you've got to cherish the moments because they don't come along often What was the team spirit like during this time? Because obviously results weren't going your way and it was difficult for you like 
How much did the players kind of rally together around this time? The team spirit's actually fantastic. I think um, and it comes from the manager and the staff. Like they, they create an environment where it's it's like that, and um, it, it's it's easy to be in. And and no matter how you, you never get too high when you win, and you never get too low when you lose. And I think um, I think I think everybody's just handled the, the occasion really well. What does this mean for the club to be in the Premiership for another season? It's massive. I think. I think obviously off the back of last season, um, where we probably overachieved, um, there was a couple of teams who who didn't perform as well. It's always hard to emulate that as well, and I think it's been disappointing in terms of where we are. Um, even being in the playoffs, it's not somewhere we wanted to be. Um, so, on reflection of that, we we want to be better. We we want to be much better going forward, um, but. I, I think I think the way we the way we stayed up. I think we were four points behind uh, Dundee United and Kilmarnock going into the split. We managed to get out of that, and then so at that time we would have taken a playoff spot. So I think from 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 that position, probably for the turn of the year, we we've definitely turned a corner. We've had a few few results that we weren't happy with, and a few games that we were just not ourselves. But at the end of the day. It, it's going to be a new season next year and, and we're looking forward to, to making it a better one than than this one. So hopefully we kick on and, and we're not in this position again. And Stevie May! Bedlam! Chaos! Euphoria in the away stands! Blue limbs everywhere! Okay plans for a new fifth tier of Scottish football have been withdrawn. Hooray! Yes, the idea of relegating 200 clubs down the pyramid <laughs> system and installing top flight B teams will not be on the table. The cards are burned. Tuesday's SFA AGM will not be talking about this. Livingston St Mirren were among a number of clubs that publicly came out against the proposals. Aberdeen stated they would never, they wouldn't be involved and even uh, Rangers boss Michael Beale expressed his doubts. Laura, you have the floor. This is a success story, isn't it? It is, yeah. And look, just to fill anyone in who didn't hear the chat a few weeks ago when we were talking about this, basically the vote was due on Tuesday at the SFA AGM. The plan was for three B teams to accompany seven clubs from the Highland Lowland Leagues in this fifth tier, uh, starting from not next season but the one after. They needed 55 votes from the 102 members' clubs. And as it stood, I think it was about 40 had come out by today saying they were voting no. Um, and it was definitely 35 there did. I think another five or six came out on the day um, to announce it as well. Now, the political line here from the SFA is they're saying they're heeding the kind of backlash from supporters because this has not, not went down well at all with fans at all. They've clearly listened to it and they're now saying that they're withdrawing this idea and they're going to go back to the drawing board, consult with clubs and really kind of develop more of a plan to iron out exactly how the best pathway can be developed for players. I think this is a very well politicised line which really translates as clubs and fans kicked up so much that we don't really have a way out of this now and we're just going to say we've paused it and we won't hear about this for a while. It'll probably show its head in another kind of maybe three or four years' time. 
But I think for now, it's dead in the water. And, and it really is a victory for fans and for clubs here because I have not seen a single person, apart from Ian Maxwell, actually support this idea. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really see how any club benefits from this. There's a wee bit underlying here. I'm, I'm a wee bit suspicious of... I think the, the team, I think the, the kind of plans where maybe the teams could actually get promotion, but it was never really publicised. Uh, maybe not straight away, but it was going to come in. I mean, we've got to bear in mind here: the B teams that are in the, the tier in the in the the Scottish league system right now, it was meant to be for one season. They're still there <laughs> a couple of years on, so you can't really take a word on it when they're talking about temporary plans and oh, we're not going to have promotion, we're not going to have them influencing anyone else um, in the pyramid system. You need to take that with a pinch of salt because I think there was underlying plans there to do completely the opposite of what they were actually telling everyone. And the the, the other aspect of this as well is that Scottish Lowland League members have already voted to retain Premiership B teams as well. So I, I get the idea of like what they're trying, what the SFA is trying to sell that these players, these young players, will be at a higher level um, playing for like proper competition without any disrespect to the Scottish Lowland League but it's just not I just don't believe any of that and I don't think anyone believes that that is the case and we, we even had um, Andy Barge on who was asking for where was the actual evidence you know the statistical evidence that says this and that and you know there, there may be somewhere uh, we haven't found it yet that's the thing there's if they keep pushing this example of Croatia as the be-all and end-all, if we do this, we're going to end up like Croatia. You know, they've had good runs in the World Cup, in the Euros. But I'm sorry, this has been dispelled. The, 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 the squad that played in the World Cup and got to the final, how many of them actually came from B teams? Mm-hmm. There was five. Five of the 26-man squad. And one of those played in a B team in Germany, not in Croatia. And they've also come out with this Brentford scenario as well, compare the progress of players. They even mentioned the fact that Brentford B team had signed Romeo Beckham <laughs> as if this was some sort of success story. Jesus. I'm sorry, but that, that, yeah, sure, we'll go and model Scottish football on the fact that Romeo Beckham, who's more of a celeb, Z-less celeb than he is footballer, is joining a B club. It's oh, that's it's embarrassing, and they, it just felt like they were clutching at straws with some of their examples of how this could actually have worked because no one was buying it. I think I think you know when you look at the evidence, that's what you have to try and do as well because really this was being pushed through by the old firm. Uh, and, and actually, what's interesting even in that is that Michael Beale, who's big on youth development, and that's his whole background has not been hugely in favour of it, I don't think, or not in its current iteration or the idea of a conference league um, since he became the Rangers manager. But I think, you know, we were all fed this line from both sides of the old firm that the, you know, the point of the B teams was to create future Scotland internationals and it's, it's easier for us to blood through youngsters because, you know, they're playing against real men and stuff. I think when you look at things like post-split, so effectively once Celtic had, had won the title at Tynecastle, there are four dead rubbers after that, right? And you look at both Rangers and Celtic, between them, of all the starting 11s that have gone out, there have been two starts given to young Scottish players. And and that was the same player, Leon King, 
who started two matches out of the four dead rubbers for Rangers. So I, I think, and you know, they're getting they're getting nominal amounts of minutes off the bench between them all. But I'm just thinking, like that. Surely that's the point. I mean, I know in Scotland it's not like England where a lot of the English teams, the the especially the the EPL sides, they use the League Cup as the training ground for their youth players, don't they? Mm -hmm. How many of them really take it seriously? And if they get to the semi-final, well, we'll chuck a few more of the first teamers in and stuff. But it's because the the demand for success is not the same down there as it is in Scotland for Rangers or for Celtic. Like you can't treat a competition as a, a B team exercise if you're Rangers or Celtic. You just can't because you run the risk of not winning that tournament and your rivals winning it. So there's that there as well. It's just, I mean, the whole thing... I'm, I'm, I'm going back to right at the top. I'm just, I'm so pleased and proud of this groundswell of of a fan movement that that uh-huh. came to the realization that, and fair play to the clubs for doing it too, because a couple of the clubs I think initially had been like, yeah, we're in favor of a conference league, you know, or putting a B team in, but let's speak to the fans anyway. And the fans have vehemently said, we do not want this. This is not in the best interests of Scottish football in general. We don't think this is in the best interests of our club. We don't want to be associated with it. And fair play to the clubs, they've been like, great, right, we're listening to you, we're voting no. So that's great. And you've had a couple of clubs that have kind of embarrassingly had to do 180 turns um, from their initial point of view. But it's brilliant. And and this is what we need more of, more fan engagement, more of the fans' voices being heard, being listened to and driving forward change, or in this case, not change, which is in the best interest of the game. And surely that's got to be the blueprint for all of these things going forward. Well, that that is, I would say, Finn, a wonderful way to end the podcast. Because that is one reason why we started this podcast for fans, because we are fans too. But that is it. Our season is over. The first season of the Scottish Football Show has been amazing. 48 episodes. What an absolute run that's been. It's been bloody hard. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to doff my cap off to both of you, Laura and Finn, because you guys, without you, um, editing, writing, me changing a few things has uh, uh, <laughs> has been an absolute gem of a of a show to put together. But you know, this is why you know liking and sharing the pod via any of the podcast platforms that you use um, it does help us grow the program. So we appreciate all the support you've given us this season. Can I also um, just add in just a huge thanks to all the guests we've had on this season yeah. because we've had a really big range from fans, from managers, from players from people all across the Scottish football world and they've contributed so much and it's been great to get so many different voices on who have wanted to take part in this podcast. It's really added something to it and I hope it's kind of brought more wealth to the conversation um, and more entertainment and understanding to subjects, to the listeners um, and we just, we hope to just build on it next season. Yeah, well that's it. Go and listen to something else now but come back in July. Bye.